So, as usual, hello to the pajama people. Thank you, William, for, for doing that. And if you're in another time zone, um, hello to the wine and cheese people. Or if you just started early, hello to the wine and cheese people. That's okay, too. Some people do that. So I would like for you to know that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. So, last week... Holly and I uh, co-talked, and we, we offered a talk about how can we embrace hope in these scary times. And one of the things that we said was that in order, in order to make a transition into um, further along on the path of the not yet, it's important to know the rules so that we can break them. And uh, Holly used art to talk about that. She used uh, poetry to talk about that. And we call that talk Coloring Outside the Lines Using a Very Full Palette. And today I want to talk about the biggest color on the palette that we have to paint with. And um, I'm going to attempt to talk about it. I want to use a phrase that I doubt you have heard before because I made it up. Um, we'll return to the definition in a moment. The phrase I want to use is transrational mysticism. It's like a college course. You haven't heard this phrase before, have you? Maybe I should copyright it. Do what? Yeah. So what I'm calling this talk is attempting to find words for that which cannot be said. And I want to begin by, by, by saying that the primary purpose that we have on this planet is growth. This is one of the principles of ordinary life. You can go on the Ordinary Life website and get all the principles, but this is one of them, that we be involved in growing. And the growth that I'm referring to um, is what I used to call psycho-spiritual growth, but as I myself have grown, I've come to see that using that term is itself dualistic. It's just growth, just growth. Um, the growth I have in mind, of course, is growth in every area, growing in our intellectual capacity, growing in our ability to understand ourselves, growing in our awareness of other people and developing an understanding of them, um, growing in our ability to have emotions instead of allowing emotions to have us. Um, Road rage is an example of how people can be had by emotions. I know that wouldn't apply to anybody in here. We're in the grips of something when we walk about in a cloud of emotional amnesia. And that's just a partial list. I just finished this week rereading Karen Armstrong's 12 Steps to Compassionate Life, and she is clear as is every spiritual teacher that I know, that this growth that I am talking about is something that we can never stop working on uh, 
we need always to be open to it. And part of the journey of growth is energizing and, and exciting. It's fun to learn new things. And it's also terrifying. It's difficult. Um, we get busy. Our lives are comfortable. We have get caught up in our enclaves and our routines. And, and um, Besides, not everybody is inclined to do the kind of work that brought you here today. People are more interested in other kinds of things. Um, are we? Amber Alert. I thought maybe it was a fire alarm. We need to get out of here. The word that Karn Armstrong uses in this book, and as I've said in here before, I wish he'd taken another title because I think people have a tendency to diss 12-step programs, and this book is rich with information, absolutely packed with good stuff. And she says that we need to develop a pan, panoptic um, knowledge and understanding. And by panoptic, what she means is that we need to gain an ever-widening perspective and higher position from which to view where we live. Panoptic, not focused down. Now, over the years in here, I've referred to many different kinds and models of growth and development. I think the first one I was taught in my own academic um, psychological studies was the model of Abraham Maslow's. Most of you know it. It's based uh, on, it's presented as a, a as a pyramid, as you will see here. It's a pyramid. And these lines that go out are the definitions of what needs to happen. Now, the word for this level of development is called epigenetic. One level is built on top of another. Epi, like epidermis. And you can't get to the level of safety until you've met the physiological needs. So each level must be developed in, in order for us to, to move on. Um, we have to have air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, ability to reproduce, all that. And then, then there come our safety needs. This uh, includes our personal safety, uh, enjoyment, having resources uh, to live from. Um, then comes love and belonging. All the relationships of family, tribe, beyond that gives us a sense of connection. And then comes what uh, Maslow called esteem. That's self-esteem, being um, able to be recognized, having the mental and physical skills to take care of oneself, um, the freedom to move about. Um, my teacher, Robert Johnson, said that it meant um, knowing how this piece of equipment in here worked and having the ability to make it work in a way that's life-enhancing for one out there. And then on top of all that was what Maslow called actualization. 
when I came to Houston and got involved in clinical training, we were required to learn the uh, developmental stages presented by Eric Erickson. Eric Erickson is the only man I know who, in his young adult life, named himself. And uh, he called these, forgive his sexist language, the eight ages of man. And again, these are epigenetic. The infant from, I don't know what, if somebody looked at this model today, this is 50 years old or older. Um, at every age group, there is a psychological crisis or task that has to be mastered. In the first few months uh, uh, of life, first year and a half, we have to establish basic trust. If we don't do that, we cannot develop hope, and we can't go on to the next level. So that, and all these will be in the on the slides that are on the website by Tuesday morning. Three up to three years, we have to develop autonomy, control of our body, and and uh, that develops will, purpose, competency, fidelity, love, care, wisdom. And it's no guarantee that just because you're 65 or make it to 65, you will be wise. <laughs> there have been many, 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 many different models. They've focused on emotional development, spiritual development, so forth. If you would like a handbook of a very useful way to check your own growth and, and development, check out Cindy Wigglesworth's book, SQ21. This is a good book. She came here once and spoke about this. And I used to use very frequently in here the model that I got from Richard Rohr called Cosmic Egg. We, we start off in life uh, developing my story, which is right here. This is just me, my, my small little world. This is mine. There's some people who never, regardless of their chronological age, get out of this. Liberals get trapped in the my story. Um, educated explanations. And um, life at my story is governed by what Rohr calls the three Ps, power, prestige, and possessions. Uh, the second level of the cosmic egg is our story right here. This is where conservatives get trapped. Conservatives get trapped at the tribal mentality. It might be very sophisticated, but it's still. Uh, I uh, spent much of my life here, and likely you have as well. I, I have had about my religious beliefs and political beliefs and na national beliefs and educational beliefs and economic beliefs. Um, the kind of tribal loyalty that has driven most of human history. And now this tribal loyalty thing is in overdrive with a multitude of groups all over the, the globe now. This is where gangs live. I'm not talking about street gangs. I'm talking about political parties on both sides, religious fundamentalists. They're destroying our country and our churches as, as we speak. And if we can grow into what Rohr calls the model of the story, um, there, is, there is hope for us. Now, here's the trick, and it's the point of this talk, although I'm, I hope to end up by demonstrating uh, transrational mysticism before we're done. We cannot exclude any of the prior levels when we grow. Every single model says that. When we transcend one stage, we have to include 
the one that we just left. And this um, transcend and include is a phrase that you will find over and over and over in the writings of Ken Wilber. Um, this means I see the value of where I have been, but I do not allow it to bind me from where I need to go or blind me from or bind me from moving there. I'll say that again. Our healthy growth is dependent on seeing the value of where we have been, but we do not allow where we have been to blind us to where we need to go or to keep us from moving there. That makes sense? No, I'm saying? Okay. So I have benefited from my Southern Baptist background where I learned the Bible and could find almost any verse in the Bible very quickly. We had a practice in the Sunday school where I went to church growing up called the sword drill. Isn't that a good military term for it? And we would stand in front of the class with our Bibles down by our side. You know this. Some of you didn't do this. And it, the, the, the teacher would call out a verse, Psalm 119, verse 18, right in the middle of the Bible. I know that. <laughs> and then she would say, draw swords. And we would put our Bibles up like this. And then I don't remember what the command was. Charge, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was fire. I don't know. And whoever could find the verse and put her or his finger on it first took a step forward. I was good at that. I could, I, I could develop that. So I want to offer you another model of growth. And uh, it's just three stages, so you can remember it easily. The first stage is pre-rational. Now, we, when we're born, we're all pre-rational. It just takes years to be accepted into the human community. We have to be taught to control our body functions. A two- or three-year-old child thinks nothing of running into a group uh, of adults with nothing on. And the adults think that's cute. But, of course, you can't keep doing that. <laughs> you have to get out of that. Um, uh, well, because you'd get put in prison if you, <laughs> you did that. It's like, you know, somebody who says, uh, I like children. That's a good thing to say. I like a 12-year-old. You can't say that. That's inappropriate. So as a child grows older, the child develops the ability to talk, communicate, and figure out uh, things. Uh, I'm not going to say how long ago this was because my son who's sitting up here might not like it. Uh, but uh, when he was three... Uh, he was told he was going to get a baby brother or sister. And so, sure enough, that event happened. I was just in the process of learning some of these developmental theories in graduate school at that time. And I decided to test them out on him. <laughs> so one day I asked him, do you have a baby sister? Uh-huh. What's her name? Sabrina? Uh-huh. And does Sabrina have a brother? And he went, I don't think so. <laughs> Because he had not learned to make that kind of formal, logical process about 
relations and connections about that. Now, the developmental experts are saying that the pre-rational stages in some aspects last until a person is in their mid-20s or later. <coughs> and this is complicated because we have a spectrum of intelligences, uh, aspects in our thinking that are far more developed than others. Not more rational, just better developed. I have known people in various professions, medicine, engineering, aviation, musical performance, who had highly developed skills in those areas, but they had the emotional and relational intelligence of a ping pong ball. <laughs> there, there are people, for example, who seem to be rational in every aspect of their lives, but when it comes to embracing the implications of cosmological evolution, they can't allow themselves to get there. Something holds them back. They, they still believe, in spite of the evidence, in a pre-Copernican worldview. So what rationalism they have is still trapped at a pre-rational level. Just making sense? Because we're going to go from pre-rational on. Um, going forward, that's what we have to do in our spiritual growth. One of you uh, alert folks sent me a link this week to a story about Jim Baker. Remember Jim Baker of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker fame? He went to prison for fraud. He's back at it. Look it up on his website, jimbakerbakker.com. He sells on that website a product called Silver Solution, which he claims gets rid of all venereal diseases. That's a lie, of course. But he's gone further, now claiming that this same solution will cure the coronavirus in under 12 hours. Of course, this has not been tested. This is a lie. Even on the Baker website, there is a link to a warning that says this product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects. But people buy it. Or it wouldn't be for sale. And it ain't cheap. It's $125 a bottle. You also go on his website and you can buy his survival kits. Because the apocalypse is coming and you need something to take under that school desk when you hide, <laughs> like we used to do. So <clears throat> there is this pre-rational, <coughs> rational, and post-rational model of understanding. This is essential to understand in doing spiritual work. I think it's essential for the salvation of our planet. So, for example, this model fits every skill humans have to have. We are pre-verbal. We are verbal. And we are post-verbal, as illustrated by the poetry of E.E. E. Cummings, or someone like that, who takes the rational verbal skills and breaks them in order to create poetry and, and, and so forth. I'm going to show you another example in a moment. 
We are pre-relational in our capacities. We are relational. And then hopefully we can be post-relational where we can get outside of our tribal connections and, and, and love others. So being trans here, being trans-relational means having that panoptic view that Karen Armstrong is, is talking about. Living with and within the, a misunderstood cosmology, which is what the Judeo-Christian religion embraces, is to see that, one, we sin and suffer because we ate, or our ancestors did, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and that caused God to kick us out of the Garden of Eden, close God's heart to us for centuries, for millennial and God's heart would not be opened again until Jesus came and died on the cross to get God to love us again. That's a pre-rational worldview that's embraced by Judeo-Christian religion. It's one of the driving factors in, in our culture. I would argue that eating of the tree, knowledge of the tree of the fruit of good and evil, which is a myth, is a step up. It's a move from pre-rational rational. It's to a differentiated state of mind of self-awareness and self-reflection. And it was that developmental step that allowed the planet to develop the ability to reflect back upon itself. That's one of the functions that we humans offer the globe, the capacity for choice. What evolutionary cosmology has offered us is a brand new understanding so that we can now see that what I'm calling transrational mysticism have often been dismissed as pre-rational fantasy. Did that sentence make sense? This is exactly what Freud did. When Freud, in his diatribe against religion, called, talked about a future of an illusion. The illusion came from the pre-rational era, and Freud said, all, all this religious stuff that you have is just something that you have taken from the pre-rational level and projected out there. It's an illusion. It's a fantasy. He threw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, sadly, Carl Jung made a similar error, but in another direction. Jung elevated pre-rational mythology to a kind of transrational glory. And here I want to read you what Ken Wilber says. And then I'll try to make sense out of this. <laughs> Ken Wilber, and um, I don't know how many of you know of Ken Wilber, um, but he is not easy to understand. He is not easy to read. The pre-trans fallacy allows us to put the pieces together into a more comprehensive whole to liberate and integrate the genuine insight offered by these two pioneers, he means Freud and Jung, and to detangle their brilliance from the misunderstandings that were so rampant before this developmental view finally emerged. And this developmental view that he's talking about is what I call evolutionary cosmology. It's a, we live in a different, new, new, new world where we're having to rethink everything. As I said, I don't begin to understand all that Ken Wilber means, 
I do know that people who claim, whom I respect, who claim to understand him, say that his model of integral philosophy is the most inclusive and most comprehensive available to us at the moment. And what I know is that we all need inclusivity and comprehension. Or, to put that another way, we all want to be included. We all want to be understood. That's what we want. <clears throat> now, I'm going to say, however poorly, that the biggest color we have to paint outside the lines, to create a map, if you will, that can guide us forward uh, through this territory call from the no longer to the not yet, is going to come from this transrational or post-rational uh, arena of human development. And that our spiritual growth and the, the well-being of the planet depends on our ability to make that transition. Now, I want to try to uh, put into words um, what I have in mind. Again, keep in mind that uh, the title is Attempting to Find Words for What Cannot Be Said. So I want to share with you a, a profound transrational spiritual experience I once had. And then see how we can apply this to our effort to follow this radical mystic Jew whose name is Jesus. So my life is so much richer because of the woman I married. She has opened up to me worlds that would never have been opened up without her, particularly in music and travel. We have traveled extensively during the decades she has been stuck with me. And um, two of the places that we have gone uh, on several occasions have included Paris and Barcelona. Barcelona uh, is probably Sherry's favorite city on the planet. We've been there three times. Um, so once in Paris, we went to the Picasso Museum that is there. I have never been a fan of Picasso, either as a painter or a person. He's a, he, he yeah, okay. <laughs> But I'm going to use him. I learned in Paris something I didn't know about Picasso. And that is that Picasso could take a piece of paper and a pencil, and he could draw a picture of you that would look like a Polaroid photograph. I didn't know that. I was this cubic weird stuff that he did, but I didn't know that he could do that. This is a picture of his sister that he did. Then we went to the Picasso Museum in Barcelona, and there was a special exhibition there called El Toro, or the bull. Picasso was obsessed with bulls and bullfighting, and he drew one scene of a bull uh, and a matador in a ring over and over and over and over and over again. And the way the exhibition had been laid out was that they, they started when you entered the room, there were sketchbooks with this kind of drawing of that matador scene, and then the evolution of that scene all around the room, and the drawings kept changing and changing and changing and changing and changing until more of what I was used to Picasso painting until the, the last scene was a big painting on the wall of the same painting that was over here, but this one was done with just a few lines. And the spiritual experience was, is that 
I could see this one in that one because he could draw that one in this one. This one was very rational. This one was transrational. Got it? Now, I have looked and looked and looked on the Internet to find that particular series of, I couldn't, but I did find something that I, I want you to see. And again, these will be on the, on, on the, on the website. Part, this is a, from a small sketchbook, so pardon the thing. This is the same drawing of that bull. This is the same drawing of that bull. This is another drawing of that bull. And this is that same bull drawn in six lines. I didn't put all the series up there, but it will be again on the, on the website that you can see somebody did that. Also, in the museum in Barcelona, there was this depiction of a bull's head. That's just the most fascinating thing. I would never have thought to do this. This is a bicycle seat, and this is a bicycle handlebars, but it's a bull's head. Being able to see this transrational ability to see. Um, and we see transrationalism uh, presented in great art and painting and sculpture and music and poetry and where else? In biblical myths. So the ability successfully to inhabit the transrational space is. Um, we have to be able to transcend but include. Transcend but include. Don't throw it out, but you have to transcend to the next level. Many conservatives transcend the pre-rational, but they don't include it. So they lose the magic. And they become uh, rigid. Many liberals transcend the rational, but they don't include it, and frankly, they become mean. In uh, spiral dynamic terminology, we refer to them as mean green. They become radical. They lose the capacity to value the very things that got them to where they are. Our way forward is not getting it right or being right or winning, but transrational mysticism. The, the church that we are part of, the so-called United Methodist Church, is going to be united no longer because of this very misplaced emphasis on uh, morality. So someone sent me this. The Methodist Church is splitting in two. One side will accept same-sex marriage the other will have a terrible choir. <laughs> so evolutionary cosmology is going to emphasize mysticism over morality, and mysticism scares most people to death. Morality... Moralism, being concerned with assuming some high moral ground, divides people. It splits people. 
It's also the product of very low-level religion. Uh, not bad religion, just immature religion. Not developed religion. Mystical religion, and Jesus was a Jewish mystic. Saw that the goal of religion is not a perfect moral stance, but rather union with the sacred. And, and, and we have to put individual salvation aside. It has served its purpose. Uh, individualism is the single biggest heresy in the, in the Christian religion. Indeed, it leads to a misinterpretation of the tradition. It, it, it led to the many problems we're now facing with climate change, pollution, the loss of biodiversity, the extinction of many species, not fully including people of all sexual orientations, a host of other troubles. And, and the emphasis on individual salvation leads people to think that the only thing God really cares about is us, and not very many of us at that, just Southern Baptists. And maybe you Methodist. I'm working on that. <laughs> Evolutionary cosmology leads us to recapture the vision of the prophets and the mystics who saw that what matters is all, everything, everyone. Richard Rohr has for decades been teaching what he calls an alternative orthodoxy, and he bases that on uh, his Franciscan heritage, on Francis of Assisi. Francis granted animals, elements, the earth, subjectivity and respect and mutuality. And, and, and you can get that if you move to a transrational stance. But you got to get where you can see this. And you can see it in Francis's Canticle to, to the Creatures, where Francis the mystic describes a participatory universe in which God loves and cares for us through brother sun, sister moon, brother wind and air, sister water, brother fire, through our sister mother earth. And at the same time, God receives praise, honor, glory, and blessing through each of God's creations. And on the mystical level, Francis could see the transformational power of love's presence in all of creation. And if we could see that in mind, that the fact that we share this planet in common with everything and everyone, that could bring us together. We all stand on the same Mother Earth. We all look at the same brother sun and sister moon. And this is where to look for the mystery of God. This world, all of it, and all upon it, is inherently sacred, holy, good, and to be valued. For those who are willing to move into the trans-rational position, there's just one reality. And, and you've heard me talk about it, and here's the end of cosmological dualism, where there's no split between sacred and secular, this earth and some far-off place called heaven. As evolutionary cosmology is teaching us that we are becoming capable, capable of a true global spirituality and that what is essential to this is the common good. Mystics have no trouble whatsoever with this. Low-level religion has a god of wrath. Transrational mysticism has no wrath, just an outpouring of love. And cosmological evolution is calling us to move into this transrational, mystical arena. 
Early stage religion, the religion of dualism, focuses on morality. Almost all the political and religious discussions that make it into our news reflect this kind of mindset. There's very little real dialogue that takes place in our world today. Our talking at each other tends to be aggressive, competitive. The object is to defeat your opponent, to be right. Nobody ever gets converted to somebody else's point of view this way. What moves people is empathy. What moves people is understanding. And that takes time. And it takes courage. Real dialogue produces change not in the other person, but in the participant. Its purpose is for each person to understand the depth of her or his ignorance, not to win an argument, but to really ask the other person that question that Ruby Sales asked, where do you hurt? One day, this man of high rank went to the Buddha with a problem. He and his wife had gotten into a conflict, and in it, each admitted that nothing was more important to them than their own self and their own point of view. Now, the Buddha could have lectured the man on the unskillful ways of egotism, but he entered the man's position, starting from where the man was, rather from where the Buddha thought he ought to be, and he suggested to the man that if there was nothing dearer to him than himself and his own point of view, he should reflect that his wife felt exactly the same way. Therefore, the Buddha concluded giving the man his own version of the golden rule. A person who loves the self should not harm the self of another. So Jesus, Buddha, other mystics recognize that the goal is not moral perfection, but union with the sacred. Mysticism is about connection, not perfection. And again, moral perfection is about the individual, and we have come to the end of that. It simply doesn't work anymore. The more I have kept the notions of the end of cosmological dualism and individual salvation in front of me, the more I have come to see what heresies they are and how following them is leading to our demise. We live in a time where we in the Western world, certainly we in the United States, think it's all about us. Where When that happens and we lose the mystical level of perception, where all that is and all who are are connected, we are indeed lost. Now again, I want to say teachers and teachings are important. We have to know the rules in order to break them. Um, but you already know what to do. You don't need me. I mean, really, the truth is in you. You know it already. You don't need to be told that greed is bad. You know that. Just look around. Look around in the world and see what the consequences of greed are. Does it make people happy? Does it lead to community? Does it lead for common well-being? No, it doesn't. You know that. What happens to people who give in to greed and hatred? What happens to groups that give in to greed and hatred? What happens to people who give in to kindness and generosity? What happens to groups? Who's the happiest? You go read the teachings of Jesus. There is almost no morality in them. 
And I'm going to maintain my belief that if we can all get it, that we're riding in the same boat, that could change us. We all live, we all die under the same sun. So what does transrational mysticism look like? I'll give you a hint. It looks like this. God does not care what we believe. God cares how we treat people. So let your prayer be love, especially for the unloved and the unlovable. Let your creed be kindness and courage. If our faith is not passion for justice, it's in faith in something other than God, for God is the God of all. Until everyone is given honor, freedom, and love, our faith journey is not complete. All the creed you need is what you do to the least you do to me. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not your accomplishments, not your good works, but you, your being is light. Your good works are only the glass. You're the light. Let your life be glass transparent to the light. It doesn't matter that others see you, only that they see. And it's not what they see, it's their seeing that matters. And that they see in full living no matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this. You carry precious cargo, so watch your step, and I'll see you here next week. Thank you.